in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's pretty clear again from the gospel this morning that Jesus never wanted to be popular. We might find that surprising because as Americans we are all about the popularity. We are all about the crowds and the numbers. If it is bigger or heavier or stronger or more or multiple or supercharged, then it's good. But in the gospel for today, Jesus is much more interested in the quality of your life than the quantity. You should always remember that Jesus died young. Jesus was much more interested in living a short, intense, prophetic life than a long, scattered, aimless, crowded, boring, and chaotic life. Jesus had focus. Jesus had just one thing on his mind, doing what his heavenly Father had given him to do and saying what his heavenly Father had given him to say. Jesus was all about standing up for what is good and right and true. Jesus did not have an advanced team or a marketing campaign. Often the 12 disciples were bumblers, especially when it came to getting the message clear and getting the message out. And yet everywhere he goes, the crowds get larger and larger. Jesus almost can't help being popular. Why is that? Jesus gets popular because he comes to life with a particular gravitas. Jesus has a calm presence and a clear purpose. He preaches, he teaches, he heals, he consoles, he forgives, he touches, he heals, he energizes, he even raises the dead. That is a prophetic life. That is what his heavenly Father gave him to say and to do. It was good and right and true, and because of that, it draws crowds. But sometimes Jesus seems almost scared of the crowds. Crowds are chaotic, and they are undisciplined. Crowds are ill-informed, and by nature they are ineffective. Crowds are all about bigger, heavier, stronger, more, multiple, supercharged. They are all about the popularity, but they are not about the prophetic. So today Jesus, who is nothing if he is not honest, stops and turns to the crowds and says, line up and grab a cross, verse 27. Here you might pause for a moment to see the connection between Jesus and what our reconciliation folks are trying to do around here. They've been trying to get everybody on the same page, to get everybody to sing the same song, to get everybody to share the same focus, to share the same vision, to get everybody in line, or as they say, to have us all be aligned behind Jesus as we walk across the parking lot from this place to the new place. Walking from this place to that place is not about the crowds, 
or about chaos, or about popularity. What matters, says Jesus, is the prophetic life, that every day you and I say what Jesus says and do what Jesus does, even when it hurts. It's a life that's summarized in a simple sentence, line up and grab a cross. There are lots of ways to talk about lining up and grabbing a cross, and Jesus picks four of them for this very short little text. Families, nails, noses, and salt. It seems like a lot, but really it's not, because all four say the same thing. The first one is easy. If you want to play follow the leader, then Jesus is always the leader. Forget about the crowds, forget about being popular, even forget your own family, and certainly, above all things, forget about yourself. It's not about you. If it's all about you, you're not a Christian. Jesus' words and ways always come first, and if they don't, then you are out of line. The next two examples are very much the same. If you want to follow Jesus, count noses and count nails. Nobody has a fist fight without counting noses, and nobody builds a tower without counting nails. And because following Jesus sometimes means suffering and unpopularity and even beheading, as we heard on the feast day of St. John's martyrdom last week, nobody should ever follow Jesus without counting the cost. If you do, you are out of line. Those three are easy, so it is the last one I'd like you to puzzle about today. Jesus says, the cross is like salt. Lining up behind the cross is like salt. What could that possibly mean? Long ago, far away, when I was in college, I heard a talk by Bishop Festo of Uganda. The bishop was in the United States because Idi Amin had just seized power there in a coup d'etat. As you remember, he was a horrible dictator who had a reputation for killing and eating his enemies. Well, one day he called the archbishop and the bishops of Uganda to his palace as crowds outside chanted for their death. One by one, he dismissed the bishops, but the archbishop disappeared. Amin had murdered him, and that scattered the bishops to other countries as they tried to figure out what to do next. Someone in our group asked him, if you know they're going to kill you, why are you going back home? The bishop paused for a moment and then answered, Salt dissolves. Two words, that's all he said. Salt dissolves. You can say a lot of things about salt. It's tasty and it's valuable. Across history, sometimes salt has been used as currency. And without it, of course, you die. But salt does its best work when it is done for someone else. Salt matters most when it dissolves. 
Think about how salt works. Gently, quickly, easily, salt dissolves. And it does it without complaint. It disappears. And in disappearing, it leaves the world a better place. More tasty, more valuable, and more alive. Whether you knew it or not, we celebrated salt last week when we remembered the beheading of John the Baptizer. You remember the story. John the Baptizer sent his disciples to Jesus. Are you the one, or should we look for another yet to come? And Jesus replied, gravitas, calm presence, clear purpose. Go and tell St. John what you see and what you hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the leopards are made clean. The deaf hear, the dead rise, and even the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed are those who take no offense at me. Blessed are those who see me as salt. Blessed are those who see me as at work for someone else, quickly, gently, easily, and always without complaint dissolving and leaving the world a better place, leaving the world a forgiven place. So John the baptizer grabbed a cross and he lined up behind Jesus and then he promptly lost his head for living prophetically, for saying and doing what Jesus had given him to say and do, for telling King Herod Antipas that he was an adulterer and that was a sin for telling Herod he was wrong. Standing up for what was good and right and true, John the baptizer disappeared without complaint. And like Jesus, and like all of you, I hope, he left the world a better place, a more forgiving place. Bishop Festo went back to Uganda when he got back, he wrote a little book called Why I Love Idi Amin. And then he devoted himself to teaching folks how to live in reconciliation, how to love your enemies, how to forgive, how to do good to those who had hurt you, how to align behind the cross of Jesus. And then, of course, he died. But it was later. He died of leukemia several years after Idi Amin had lost power. That's another thing about salt, I suppose. You put enough of it in one place, and it has staying power. Things stay salty. For fun, Bishop Festo also wrote children's books. And he had a favorite story that went like this. One day, a little girl sat watching her mother working in the kitchen. She asked her mommy, what does God do all day long? For a while, the mother was stumped, but then she said, darling, I'll tell you what God does all day long. He spends his whole day mending broken things. That is what Jesus and John and the church and all of you are all about. So that is one of our tasks as we move next door, mending broken things. 
forgiving, reconciling, aligning, and especially living as one Christological community in love and obedience to Christ. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's the very last verse of the gospel for today. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or as Jesus says, line up and grab a cross. We're moving soon, and there is a lot of work to do. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.